Okay, let's go ahead and talk about hope. Why don't you turn your Bibles to me to Luke chapter 2. Um, this is our second week in our Advent series, which is so fun. And what we're doing is we're going through the traditional four, you know, you light the candles and you've got the four candles, one for hope, one for peace, one for joy, one for love. And we're going through that right now. And Advent is a time for us to prepare our hearts and our minds for the Advent, the coming of the Christ. Christ is the Greek word Christos, and it's just the Greek word for Messiah. So Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's not, you know, JC. Actually, I've got a, I've got a sweatshirt. It says, Happy B-Day, JC, the reason for the season. And it's, I might wear that when I preach next. Everyone okay with that? I might wear that next time. Okay. Someone say nope. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, for hope this week, I think it's just incredible. Last week, Rick taught on peace and uh, we're teaching on joy next week, and it's, it's just going to be really sweet how we see these characteristics that we, as followers of Jesus, have because he came. And it's such a wonderful time to prepare our hearts and our minds to anticipate his coming, to anticipate the celebration of his arrival and what we get to do uh, because of it. So, uh, is everyone at Luke chapter 2? Great. I'm going to ask Lelia. Where's Lelia at? Yes, come on up, and would you please read for us? We're going to start in verse 22. There you go. Thank you. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought him in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the hope that we have because of you, and just ask, Father, that tomorrow would be different because of today, because today we meet with you as your people. We love you, Lord, and give us ears to hear your word for us. Amen. Amen. So uh, this is an interesting, it's an interesting story, and I like, uh, I'm, I'm really tempted to go off into the weeds a little bit, but... Um, you know, let's go there, actually. Uh, let's, let's do that. 
Uh, right at the beginning, it says, verse 22, uh, it says, When they came time for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord, quote, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So what's going on? Here is it's it's tying back all the way to the Levitical law. So or or uh, uh, in this case it's uh, Exodus 13. So th- I'm going to read Exodus 13, starting in verse 14. Uh, when it comes time, your son asks you, "Why do you do this? Why do you?" And and what's preceded is the first lamb, the first cow, the first son are all holy, are all dedicated, are all set apart for the Lord. It's, it's the Jewish law. They're set apart for the Lord. And what they would do is for the first lamb or the first cow or the first whatever, they would go to the temple and they would sacrifice it to the Lord. But when it's a firstborn son, what they would do is they would go and they would do a redemption sacrifice. They would sacrifice an animal in place of the child. And uh, Exodus 13, 14 says, so when your son asks why you do this, tell him this. You shall say to him, by a strong hand, Yahweh brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, Yahweh killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn man and the firstborn of the animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to Yahweh all the males that first opened the womb, but the firstborn, son, firstborn sons I redeem. So you sacrifice something in place of. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, Yahweh brought us out of Egypt. What's going on is there every time there's a firstborn son, they go to the temple and they sacrifice something. You would sacrifice normally a calf, but if you're poor, like uh, Jesus' parents, you'd sacrifice a pair of doves. And, you know, because they didn't have a ton of money, but it's, it's retelling the Exodus story again of Yahweh stepping in and saving his people, of Yahweh stepping in and caring for those whom he loves. So as they're here at the temple, that's the backdrop. That's the story that they're retelling. Okay, and then we come to this character named Simeon. And all we know about Simeon is in these verses. Nowhere else in the Bible talks about this guy. It's just right here. So what do we know about Simeon? Let's look down at the Bible. What does the Bible say? What do we know about this guy? Let's call it some characteristics, things we know. Righteous. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I've got written down. What else? Spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. Don't let Mike take it all. What? He was waiting for the resurrect or for the for the Messiah. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. What else? So he must have had strong faith. Okay, strong faith. He, was, he, was, he really believed it. Um, that, well, we don't know this about him. I, I like to think he's old. Um, and the reason I... What? I just said that to Eddie. Oh, wow, you didn't want to share with the rest of us? <laughs> I guess we can't all be as lucky as Eddie to hear your thoughts. No, and here's why we think he's old. He sees Jesus. He raises praise. He says, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And uh, he says, now your servant can depart in peace. We don't know how long ago he heard from the Holy Spirit, you will see the Messiah. You will see the consolation of Israel. You will see the Savior. We don't know how many years it's been. But we get the sense 
that he's ending his years. He says, now your servant can depart in peace. Just a beautiful picture. Um, and then uh, he goes and, and, he has, and he prophesies. It says he's full of the Spirit. And by the way, this is, this is, okay, this is for free. We're back in the weeds. Everyone ready? Uh, Luke, as an author, uses the word, or talks about the Holy Spirit more than any other gospel writer. He talks about the Spirit. He talks about the Spirit. He'll, he'll say things like, and Jesus, filled with the Spirit, did this. Whereas Mark is just like, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did this. Mark is like twitching as he's telling the story. And Luke is saying, full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit. And the reason why I want to point that out is in January, when we're in our Acts series, the main character of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. Main character of Luke is Jesus. Main character of Acts is the Holy Spirit. And we see that even tying in all the way here when Jesus is like a month old, month or two old. We see Luke saying, and this guy full of the Holy Spirit. So what is Simeon's prophecy? Let's look down at our Bibles again. What is Simeon's prophecy? What does he say about Jesus? Jesus is what? Salvation. What else? Light for the Gentiles, yes. Glory for your people Israel. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying Jesus is all these things. He's looking at it, a newborn baby. I think the closest we have is Arnon. How old is Arnon? Five weeks. Five weeks. So imagine Simeon. You see this guy all the time at the temple, comes over, sees Arnon, eyes fill with tears, and he proclaims this over Arnon. says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. Amazing. He sees Jesus and this erupts. Jesus is a baby. Jesus hasn't done anything yet. Jesus isn't impressive yet. He sees this and he goes, I see the salvation that God has prepared, this promise that I was given. And that's the story of Simeon. So some of you more eagle-eyed people might have noticed the word hope doesn't appear in this passage. And the question arises, why then are we talking about hope with this passage? And I guess it kind of comes down to what is hope? What, what is hope? How do we use hope? I looked up a dictionary definition of hope this week. It says, it's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. This is, this is how we use it. This is how we commonly use it in our vernacular, right? Like tonight, I'm saying, I hope the Seahawks win tonight. I hope. I hope... Um, I hope this sermon goes well, right? I hope. I don't know, right? I hope. And what, what's interesting about how we use the word hope is deeply embedded into how we use the word hope is uncertainty. We don't know. I hope. I actually don't know how things are going to work out, but I know how they'd, I'd like them to work out. So I hope. I hope over here. But I think the Bible kind of has a a different definition of the word hope, one that would probably be more appropriate for us to think about and use in our lives. And so to help us kind of understand that, the Bible Project has a great video on the word hope. So let's watch it. 
So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavas for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kava for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kava for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kava for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold. 
waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. And we're done. That's the message. Um, no, that's a lot in like four minutes or whatever, how long that video is. If you want to rewatch that video, you can just, uh, you can just go to YouTube and type in uh, Hope Bible Project and it'll come. It'll come right up. Um, the, there's a few things I want to point out that I thought the video did really well. Is it pointed to um, how in Hebrew hope is intrinsically tied to waiting? It's, it's, this, it's, this, it's this posture. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't, I'm not a big fan of waiting, right? Waiting is hard. I'm trying to train that in my daughter right now. Or I say, okay, Eden, let me see your patience muscles. And she goes, <clears throat> she's not happy about waiting, which is kind of like, that's what I'm doing on the inside all the time <laughs> when I'm waiting for something. Have you ever found yourself like tapping your foot or like fidgeting while you're waiting for the microwave? And you're like, what am I doing? I can't wait 30 seconds. I can't just like be happy with myself for 30 seconds. Oh my goodness. And this is what we see in Simeon's story. We see a man who is waiting, who we don't, again, we don't know how long it's been since Yahweh has said, you will see the salvation of Israel. And we see this man waiting. We see this man full of the spirit. We see this man going to the temple. And in some way, Simeon is kind of, he's representative of the nation of Israel, a nation that's under oppression, a nation that's groaning and waiting for salvation, that's waiting for Messiah. It's a really beautiful thing. And so today, I want to look at three Advent lessons of hope that we can learn from Simeon's story. Sound good? Okay. Lesson number one, Simeon's life was centered around his hope. This is, this, you see how much it meant to him. He, he was like, I can't die in peace until this hope is fulfilled. And it makes sense, right? Uh, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And I don't, have, I'm sure this hasn't happened to anybody. Has anyone had a hope that hasn't worked out? A few of you? This, the, I tell you what, the, the hardest I've ever been hit by this, I was, and by the way, I have, a, I have somewhere in my head a memory of already sharing this story from this stage, but I asked my wife and I asked Rick and they both said I hadn't. So if you've heard it before, blame them. Everyone with me? Okay. So here's the story. I was eight, oh, no, how old was I? I was 21. What? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the input, John. I appreciate that. That was good. I'm like believing someone else. How old was I? Yeah. So gullible. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I was 21 and I was, uh, I, I was just, a, I, it was, oh, it was this year. It was eight years ago, this Christmas, eight years ago. Um, and I had been an intern at this church that I'd been attending for lots of years, and I'd been told by my boss, hey, we're going to keep you on, and then after you graduate, we'll bring you on full time, and I thought, life is good. This is great, and then right before Christmas, I found out I was being let go. My boss's boss and my boss had had a miscommunication. Whoops. 
and I was not going to be paid to help anymore. And I, I was, at this point, I was a semester away from graduating. All my plans for moving forward were wrapped up in this internship. I had a ton of hope in this internship, and just poof, gone. I was, you've, Jill, Jill will tell you I'm generally a pretty happy person. I'm just like, I wake, she, I, someone asked her, she's like, did you learn anything about your husband coming back from honeymoon? She goes, he's this happy all the time. <laughs> he wakes up this way. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so anyways, you know, I, I was not that Daniel that Christmas eight years ago. I was, I was moping. I was like, no one wants me for anything. Just like, like just a total like crybaby about the whole thing. Just woe is me. But the reality is, is I, I needed, I needed that in my life. I needed to realize how much hope I had in this internship and start analyzing, doing the process of, so actually I do wrap myself up in my hopes quite a bit. I, that, that, that's, that should be something to note about myself. And then Psalm 42 has a great response. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And I love that this is the response when our soul is cast down, when we're feeling woe is me. It's, it's, I'm going to hope in God. I'm, act, I'm actually going to hope in God now. And I love this. I love this. Why are you cast down on my soul? That, that's such good emotional health. That's such a good practice. If you're feeling an emotion, a really strong emotion, just asking, why is this here right now? Why, what's going on here? Someone said something. Boy, that's really bothering me, maybe more than it ought to. Why is that? What's going on? And kind of stepping, stepping forward into that. And I love Psalm 42 uh, for that. Why are you cast down, my soul? Hope in God. Hope in God. This is, it's, and by the way, this is what we naturally do. We naturally wrap ourselves around in our hopes. The question is, what are we wrapping our hopes in? What, what is it that we're putting our hope in? Which leads me to my next point of something we can learn from Simeon. Lesson two is Simeon put his hope in the Messiah. And this is really, this is really the only place that can handle our hope is Jesus. Because I, I, over the years, I've seen people putting hope in lots of things that aren't Jesus and being devastated and let down when things don't work out. Because they, they won't. Not always. Sometimes they will, but sometimes they really, really won't. I had a friend who I remember, he, he told me, he said, Daniel, I'm convinced God's going to heal me of this without surgery. And I just thought, whoa. Sounds like you're hoping in an outcome or a circumstance and not actually in God himself. Your hope isn't in God. Your hope is that God's going to do something for you. And it's close, but there's a really important distinction there. God, I will hope in you only if you do things my way. As opposed to, God, my hope 
is you. You are the identity of my hope. Um, the next time my hope was uh, really tested was uh, for years, I was planning on going back to Albania where I grew up and planting a church. And uh, our, 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 our whole married life, my wife and I had been talking about this. It was like where we were going. And then some medical issues came up that prevented us from going and living there. Which is, by the way, a way bigger deal than me losing an internship. I was, I was 26 at this time. And I had spent, since I was 13, thinking and preparing for planting a church in Albania. Half my life in a hope. And can I tell you something? I, it, it takes a long time, but I learn things occasionally. And I had learned to not wrap my hope up in this vision of my wife and I going to Albania, but trying to hope in Jesus instead. And when this came crashing down, it was a night and day difference, my response between losing an internship where I was weepy, mopey, woe is me, and when I heard we couldn't move to Albania. I don't, and I, it's just the grace of God, my life. But somewhere in there, I had begun to learn about putting my hope in Jesus and not circumstances working out in my favor. And I think that's something we all need to step into, is putting our hope in Messiah, putting hope in Messiah. When our son Levi was alive, I had so many people tell me how much hope and how much belief and faith they had that he would either be healed or that he would live or whatever. And time and time again, I just kept thinking to myself, I actually have zero hope of that. But I have hope that God is with me in this. And my hope was fulfilled. I was not let down in my hope. Yahweh was with us. We're holding our little boy, crying over him. Yahweh was with us. When we put his little body in a basket and watched strangers take him out the door to the funeral home, Yahweh was with us. Our hope, our hope, our hope, not in our circumstance. And this is kind of what Rick was talking about last week. Peace beyond circumstances. Peace in something else. Peace that we have because Jesus has come in a really, really beautiful way. Can you throw up Isaiah 40? But they who wait, yakal, some of your Bibles say hope, but they who hope for the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll, ride, they'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run, not be weary. They'll walk and they'll not faint. This is the beauty of hoping in Jesus, in hoping in the Messiah for real. Not pretending to by hoping for things around the Messiah, but actually placing hope in the Messiah. It's beautiful. Lesson number three, Simeon knew his hope was also the hope of the world. I want to look down really quickly at verse 32. He's talking about Jesus, that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Even Simeon knew the, the hope that he had, this hope, is not meant to be something he keeps for himself. 
This is a hope to be shared. This is a hope to be given. First uh, Peter three fifteen. I don't have a slide for it. Oh, I've got First Peter one three, but not three fifteen. No, no, I don't have a slide. Um, says always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. And what's interesting about that passage is that he's talking to persecuted Christians responding to the people who are persecuting them. Be prepared to tell your enemies why you hope. Have hope. Hope in something beyond circumstance. Hope in something cosmic and eternal. Hope in Jesus. Always be ready. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. And you know, our, we need this. Our country needs this. There was a, an opinion piece in the Washington Post in June entitled, um, Suicides Are at an All-Time High. We Need Hope More Than Ever. I'm going to read an excerpt. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recently released a report that is the closest thing we have to the quantification of despair. Between 1999 and 2017, suicide rates in the U.S. rose to their highest level since World War II. The increase can be found among men, women, and in every racial and ethnic group. But the spike among people between the ages of 15 and 34 is particularly disturbing. Hopelessness among the young seems a direct assault on hope itself. Our world needs hope. And we have hope. And we have hope that's real hope. Hope that will last. This uncertainty piece is ejected from our minds when we hope. When we wait for Messiah. Because we know he is with us. He threw up 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. A hope that is alive. A hope that flourishes. A hope that will mean something more than just making me feel good today. A hope that will endure and last into eternity a hope that is real and I can build my life on, a living, foundational core to who I am and what I believe, hope. And that's because the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ gave his son to us so that we could hope and have a living hope. And we're in this beautiful season of Advent where we get to hope. We get to we get to remember that Jesus came because Jesus came. He lived, he died, and he rose again. And because of that, all things are possible. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Spirit, lives in you. If you love Jesus and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So I guess where do we go from here? I was praying this week um, for you guys, for us as a family, and just felt like, um, and take this for what it's worth, I mean, this is me um, in my office listening, so this is not scripture by any means, but 
just felt like God wanted us to be a people marked by hope. That as we go through each one of these weeks of Advent, love, joy, peace, oh yeah, peace. I was about to say patience. I'm doing the fruits of the spirit. <laughs> and hope, uh, it would just become a defining characteristic of who we are. And beyond these walls, not just when we're here, when we're at home, that our homes would be full of peace. Our homes would be full of hope. When we're at work, that we would be people of peace, that we would be people of hope. And I think, I think that's God's heart for us as a family. So my hope for all of you is that this week, uh, we, we would step into hoping and preparing our hearts for the advent of the Christ, of the Messiah. Sound good? Okay, let's stand and pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the hope that you give us because of who you are, because you are with us and you're present. Lord, we need hope today as your people. We need hope. We need you. And we know that not only do we need you, we know the world needs you. Help us hope again, hope afresh, hope anew. Build our lives on the hope of you. We love you, Jesus, and we direct our hearts to you again and again and again in this anticipation and waiting of a celebration of you. Thank you. Amen. Um, normally, we do communion every week, um, but the tables are empty uh, in anticipation of what's coming in anticipation of the coming king. So you don't have to go to the tables today, but I want you, as we're worshiping, please anticipate the coming of Jesus. Let's sing and worship together.